Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Feast of Trumpets. Time marches right along. Here we are with the fall festival season right upon us. And soon we will have the Feast of Tabernacles after the Day of Atonement. And all of these are very important things to God. Remember, the law of God is perfect. And so no man can improve upon God. We need to remember that. And we need to understand that God is the one who has called us. And we answer the call. But we do the things that God wants us to do his way, not our way. One of the reasons why the Feast of Trumpets pictures the most devastating and destructive time in the history of mankind since the flood is because men have not learned the lesson. You must come to God his way, and you must believe God and you must obey God. And, of course, this follows through with everything that God does. Now let's come to Leviticus 23. And this is always a test of faith, because God put all of the holy days in sequence, naming the day, numbering the day, counting the day for Pentecost, as a test of faith. Do we believe God? Do we love God? And if we do, God will show us and teach us his understanding. He will open the mystery of his word to us, which then are called by Jesus the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And one of the great mysteries is the return of Jesus Christ. So let's begin here in Leviticus 23 and verse 23, 23, 23. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, in the seventh month, in the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of ram's horns, a holy convocation. Now ram's horn is the trumpet to be blown when there is war. So the Feast of Trumpets is a war feast. Now let's look at this again here for just a minute. Okay. All holy days are called a Sabbath. The weekly Sabbath is called the Sabbath. So that's important to understand. All the holy days are Sabbaths. And he says, you shall do no servile work, but you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. Now today we don't bring the animals. We don't have an altar on the earth for physical sacrifices. But we are to give of our substance to the Lord. Now God will bless us in giving an offering. I know there's some people who are very fastidious and say, that it says in Deuteronomy 16 that three seasons, unleavened bread, feast of weeks, and tabernacles, and you are to bring an offering. That is true. But does that exclude and not count trumpets as well? 
when it says we're to bring an offering in Leviticus 23, that should be sufficient for us. And so we always take up an offering on the holy day, and particularly what this day pictures with the return of Christ and all the events at the end of the age. Yes, we need to bring God an offering. So we'll take a pause, and we will take up an offering at this time. Now let's continue the unfolding of prophecy in the book of Revelation. And we saw on Pentecost that day 49 pictures the opening of the heavens for the first phase of the return of Jesus Christ. And that first phase is the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, which then will appear as the second sun. Then we have the sealing of the 144,000 in Revelation 7. Now let's come to Revelation 8, and let's pick up the flow of events from there. And remember, as I covered on Pentecost, you have from next to the last Pentecost to the last Pentecost, which is the resurrection. Then you have another line below that, which is from trumpets to the return of Jesus Christ. And the seventh trumpet is the resurrection. Now, the resurrection is phase two of the return of Jesus Christ. Now, we will come back to that, phase two, and then we will go into phase three, because that is going to be awesome indeed. But come back here to Revelation, the eighth chapter. And here is where all the prophecies at the end time shift. Now then. It is the angels of God versus Satan, the devil, and the demons, and the men who are following Satan, the armies that Satan has raised up. And we will see how God deals with these things, and every one of these plagues that come that we find in Revelation 8 and 9, as well as Revelation 16, those all go back to the weapons that God used against the Egyptians to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. So now the scene is, we're at the point when the first trumpet blows, there is one year until the saints come with Christ back to the earth. And that one year is going to be the most devastating year in the history of mankind from the time of the flood until the end. And as we can see by reading chapters 8 and 9, which we will do, there are great and fantastic weapons that will be employed and that man will not be satisfied until he has fought to the very end. So let's begin chapter 8, verse 1. Now when he opened the seventh seal... There was silence in heaven for about a half hour. Then I saw seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel, who had a golden censer, came and stood at the altar and put much incense, or rather, and much incense was given to him, so that he might offer it with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar that was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense went up before God from the hand of the angel, ascending with the prayers of the saints. 
And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and cast it into the earth. Direct intervention by God. Here men are over here fighting, fighting one another. All of a sudden the heavens rip open. The last part of chapter 6, and the sign of the Son of Man appear. There is quietness for a space of time uh, for the 144,000. So you count that space from Pentecost until trumpets of the year that it occurs. Then starts all the devastation prophesied in the Old Testament. We will look at that. And this is quite a thing. These are earth-shaking, to say the least, events. So he took the altar, took it from the altar, and cast it into the earth, and there were voices and thunders and lightnings and an earthquake. Now, you'll notice going through the book of Revelation, there are many numerous earthquakes that take place. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound their trumpet. Now, there is a sequence of seven trumpets. The first one, the last one. So the last trumpet, as we saw in Pentecost, is the resurrection. So here's the first one. And the first angel sounded his trumpet, and there was hail mingled with blood, and it was cast upon the earth. And a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. Now these come, you will notice, one, two, three, four. Very quickly in a row. Same way with the seven last plagues. One, two, three, four. Then the second angel sounded his trumpet, and there was cast into the sea, as it were a great mountain burning with fire, and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the living creatures that were in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Absolute devastation beyond belief. And a third of the angel, and a third angel sounded his trumpet. And there fell from heaven a great star burning like a lamp. And it fell on a third part of the rivers and on the fountains of water. Now the name of the star was Wormwood. And a third of the waters became wormwood, and many men died from drinking the waters because they were made bitter. Now, these things are going to just be so devastating upon the earth. Great and fantastic events that will not ever be repeated again in the same way. Then the fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was spent in a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, and a third of them a third part of the day did not shine, and likewise a third part of the night. Now, right here is exactly why no man knows the day or the hour exactly. But we do know the times and the seasons. And those are depicted by the appointed times of God, the holy days of God. Now, let's finish chapter 8. And I looked. And I heard an angel flying in the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice. Now notice, God always gives warnings, doesn't he? So here it is. Whoa, whoa, 
Woe to those who are dwelling on the earth because of the voices of the remaining trumpets of the three angels who are about to sound their trumpets. Now, this is going to be quite a thing, especially the fifth trumpet and the sixth trumpet. And, of course, the seventh one, then, is the resurrection. Now, before we get into reading chapter 9 concerning the great wars that will take place, let's come back to Joel, the second chapter, and let's see that these things were prophesied, not only in the book of Joel, but in the book of Isaiah and in the book of Jeremiah. Okay? So let's come back here to Joel. You have Hosea, then Joel. So Joel, the second chapter. Here it starts out. Now notice how this parallels very closely what we have already read. And what happens in Revelation 8 and 9, that fills us in on the details of what was given here in the Old Testament. And remember, from the blowing of the first trumpet, until the saints in Christ come back to the earth, the next trumpet is one year, just like the sealing of the 144,000 in great innumerable multitude to the resurrection is one year from Pentecost to Pentecost. So trumpets in fulfillment is from trumpets to trumpets one year. So let's pick it up here, Joel 2. Now, the memorial of the blowing of trumpets is a war feast. Verse 1, blow the ram's horn in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord comes. It is near at hand. Well, we're reading of it back there in Revelation a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Didn't we read that? Isn't it interesting that the gospel is preached in the Old Testament as well as the New? That's why they are together like a hand in a glove. They give us the full picture of what's going to take place. As the morning is spread across the mountains, so comes a great people, a mighty people. There has never been the like, nor shall there ever be again, even to the years of many generations. That's our time. Verse 3, fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. And the land is as a garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing shall escape them. Their appearance is the appearance of horses and as war horses, so they run. Now we will see how aptly this fits in with the description there in Revelation 9. They shall leap with the noise of chariots on the top of mountains, with the noise of a flame of fire that devours the stubble, like a mighty people set in battle array. In their presence the people shall greatly tremble. All faces shall grow pale. They shall run like mighty men. They shall climb the wall like men of war. 
They shall march each one in his, in his path, and they shall not break ranks, and each one shall not crowd another. They shall go every one in his own path, and when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. Amazing to think about that, isn't it? Yes, indeed. They shall run to and fro in the city. They shall run upon the wall. They shall climb upon the houses. They shall enter in at the window like a thief. The earth shall quake before them, and the heavens tremble. The sun and the moon shall grow dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. That is exactly what it says in the book of Revelation. And the Lord shall utter his voice before his armies. For his camp is exceedingly great, for powerful is he who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? Well, there will be some people who will live through it. Very few, and we will see. This involves every nation in the world. So when we get to the book of Revelation. It talks about all nations. This is why the gospel is preached as a witness to all nations. This is why God has the two witnesses there in Jerusalem to be a witness. This is going to be the greatest, most fantastic event that is pictured by the Feast of Trumpets that has been, as I said, in the history of man. Now let's come and see some other things concerning how this is going to involve the whole world. Let's come to Isaiah chapter 24. Isaiah 24. Now, as we will see when we put these various descriptions together, along with the book of Revelation, this gives us a vast picture of how this is going to affect everything on the earth. Because the return of Jesus Christ is going to be awesome indeed. Isaiah 24 and verse 1. Behold, the Lord makes the earth empty and makes it waste. He turns it upside down and scatters its inhabitants. As it is with the people, so shall it be with the priest. As with the slave, so with the master, as with the handmaid, so with her mistress, as with the buyer, so with the seller, as with the lender, so with the borrower, as with the creditor, so with the debtor. The earth shall be completely laid waste and utterly stripped, for the Lord has spoken this word. Now stop and think for just a minute as we've covered how many times, God fulfills all the prophecies to the maximum. So when these things happen, they are going to be complete and devastated. Notice verse 4. The earth mourns and languishes. The earth withers and languishes. The proud people of the earth wither. The earth is defiled under its people, because, notice why this is coming. And this will help you understand why the lawlessness at the end of this age is going to be so overwhelming. 
And let me just mention this. It's going to be difficult to really be a true Christian through all of these things. But God will give us the strength. God will grant us his spirit. All right? Let's go on. Because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, and have broken the everlasting covenant. Now, the everlasting covenant is the covenant unto eternal life because it will go on into the ages of eternity. Now, this aptly describes the way that the religions of this world are toward God, including the Christianity of this world. Therefore, here is the effect. We read the cause. The curse has devoured the earth, and they who dwell in it are desolate. Therefore, the people of the earth are burned, and few men are left. So when God sets his hand for judgment, now let's come to Isaiah. Let's come to Isaiah 13, and let's see what it says there. Isaiah 13 and verse 1. The burden of Babylon. What is the end time called? Babylon the Great, which Isaiah the son of Amos saw. Lift up a banner on the high mountain. Exalt the voice to them. Wave the hand so that they may go into the gates of the nobles. I have commanded my holy ones. I have also called my mighty ones for my anger even those who rejoice in my triumph. Now that's all the angels of God, and that's all the saints of God. The noise of a multitude in the mountains, as of a great people, a tumultuous noise of kingdoms of nations. That is all-encompassing, isn't it? Now we will see how all of this is brought out in final detail and moving toward the return of Christ in the book of Revelation. Noise of kingdoms of nations gathered together, and the Lord of hosts gathers an army for battle. They come from a far country, the kings of the east. From the end of heaven, the Lord and the weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole earth. Woe! Howl, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and it shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Quite a thing. Yes, come on down here. Verse 9. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, both cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the earth a desolation. He shall destroy the sinners out of it. For the stars of the heavens and the constellations shall not give light. The sun shall be darkened in its going forth, and the moon shall not reflect its light. Exactly what we read in the book of Revelation. Right? Yes, indeed. For the stars of heavens, we read that. Verse 11, And I will punish the world for their evil. Now, What I want you to do is understand how these prophecies encompass the world, all nations, kingdoms, all peoples, and how that no one 
is going to escape. For I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity, and I will cause the arrogance of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of tyrants. I will make man more scarce than gold, even man more than the fine gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will shake the heavens and the earth. Again, it talks about shaking the heavens and the earth. And the earth shall move out of its place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger. Those are really quite some words. Now let's come to Jeremiah 25. And we will see, yes, this is going to involve all nations. No one is going to escape. No one is going to get away from it. Now, they may survive. There's going to be a number of people who will survive because it says there are a few men left. And they will survive through these things. And just think of the trauma that they will have experienced and how that is going to be quite a job for us at the beginning of the millennium. Need to understand, this is going to be awesome indeed. Now here, Jeremiah 25, let's pick it up in verse 26. Now after listing all the kings, God told Jeremiah, take this cup at my hand, and go to all the nations that I tell you. And it lists all of them through all the verses leading up to verse 26. But 26 then begins to expand it out to the whole world. Verse 26, All the kings of the north, far and near, one with another, all the kingdoms of the world. Now, is that all-encompassing or not? Yes, it is, which are on the face of the earth. Now, here it speaks about the beast of Revelation 13. And the king of Shishak shall drink after them. Therefore, you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Drink and be drunk, and vomit and fall and rise no more, because of the sword that I will send among you. And it shall come to pass, if they refuse to take the cup at your hand to drink, then you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, You shall certainly drink. For lo, I begin to bring evil on the city which is called by my name. And you shall go unpunished. You shall not go unpunished. For I will call for a sword upon the inhabitants of the earth, says the Lord of hosts. Now that is going to be profound. We will see how all of this fits in in Revelation 9. And then expands out into Revelation 16 as well. Verse 31. A noise shall come to the ends of the earth, for the Lord has a controversy with the nations. He will plead with all flesh. He will give those who are wicked to the sword, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, Evil shall go forth from nation to nation, 
and a great whirlwind shall be stirred up from the furthest corners of the earth. And the slain of the Lord shall be at that day from one end of the earth even to the other end of the earth. They shall not be mourned, nor gathered, nor buried. They shall be as dung upon the ground. Howl, you shepherds, and cry, and wallow yourselves in the ashes, you lords of the flock, for the days of your slaughter and of your scattering are fulfilled, and you shall fall like a choice vessel. Amazing. Absolutely stunning, all of this. Now let's come back to Revelation, the ninth chapter, and let's see how this fits in. Let's see how God puts it all together. So this is why we take part of it from the Old Testament, part of it from the New Testament, from the book of Revelation, so we can understand and get a full picture of what is going to happen. Now this is why that the gospel is preached in all the world for a witness to all nations. All nations are involved. All people are involved. God is going to make a statement that is going to be absolutely so profound and so devastating. He's going to do it. He's going to use the armies to do it. He is going to use Satan the devil to do it. He's going to use his angels to do it. He's going to use the demons to do it. This is an all-out battle of a magnitude that is almost beyond the scope of our imagination. Now let's pick it up, chapter 9. Again, notice how it's angels of God and demons and Satan the devil. Verse 1, chapter 9. And the fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star fall from heaven to the earth, and there was given to him the key of the bottomless abyss. And he opened the bottomless abyss, and there went up smoke from the pit, like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. And locusts came onto the earth from the smoke. And power was given to them as scorpions of the earth have power. These are demonic powers. Let out of the demonic prison the abyss. Some places in the King James, that's called the bottomless pit, but the abyss. And it was said to them that they should not damage the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only, only, the men who do not have the seal of God in their foreheads. So this shows that the 144,000 and the great innumerable multitude have not ascended to heaven yet. They have, because they won't ascend until the seventh trump is blown, and then they will ascend to meet Christ on the sea of glass. Now the reason that there are trees, and the reason that there are, is grass is because a third were previously burned up. But when it's dark, when it's cloudy, what automatically comes with that? Rain. Now, trees and grass have no understanding about devastation. If it rains, it grows, regardless of what men do. So, 
however long it takes for the first four plagues to take place, by the time it gets to the uh, fifth trumpet plague, there has been time for the grass to grow and some of the trees to recover. Now, verse 5, all the rest, and this is probably from the king of the north who comes down out of Europe, okay, against the king of the south, and it was given to them that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And then in those days they're going to seek death and won't find it. Death will flee from them. Verse 7, And the appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for war, and on their heads were crowns like those of gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. And they had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like those of lions, and they had breastplates like iron. So here is the greatest armament, the greatest weapons that men have been able to devise, and with the technology of Satan the devil, and with the demons, and with Satan, all working this together. They had breastplates like iron breastplates, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots drawn by many horses running to war. And they had tails like scorpions and stingers, and they were given power to injure men with their tails for five months. And they have a king over them. See, Satan is leading the battle. The angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And his name that he has in Greek is Apollyon. Interesting, isn't it? Now then it says, the first woe is past. Behold, after these things come two more woes are still to come. Then the sixth angel sounded. Now notice these follow along. And these great battles take place. Now, this is going to be the greatest thing, because as we will see here, there has never, never been an army like this. An army so vast that it's going to stretch from the Holy Land all the way back to the Far East. And right now, the Chinese are building the highway going west. And they're building a highway from Afghanistan down to Pakistan. So it will go from Pakistan on down uh, there, and there will be Pakistanis involved. And they're going to build uh, a pipeline down to India. India will be involved. All the kings of the east. And that army will be strung out for thousands of miles. You can't get as we will see, 200 million men in one place. So they will come like waves. And this is going to be a great battle. All right, verse 13. And the sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. And it said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Loose the four angels that are bound in the great river Euphrates. Set for the time. Notice. 
than the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were loosed. So God is right on schedule, isn't he? So that they might kill a third of men. Now you talk about how devastating this is going to be. Think about it for a minute. Revelation 6, those wars and famines kill a fourth of men. So that leaves three quarters of them left. So then another third of those who are still alive, this means that half of the men in the world are going to die between chapter 6 and chapter 9. Maybe even more than that when you count all the things that are going to take place. And remember what it said in Jeremiah, that the dead will be strung from one end of the earth to the other, and they won't be buried, as we will see in Revelation 19, that all the fowl of the air are going to eat up their flesh. Quite a thing. This is going to be awesome indeed. Now let's read on. Verse 16. And the number of the armies of the horsemen was 200,000, and I heard the number of them. That's 200 million. Now understand this, in World War II, the maximum they had under arms, counting all of those who were not involved in uh, combat, was 50,000. So think. Not 50,000, 50 million, beg your pardon. And 50 million is what? One-fourth of what this is, not counting what the armies of the beast were. This is something. Now, here's what they look like. And I saw the horses in division and those sitting on them who had fiery breastplates, even like Jasoneth and Brimstone. And the heads of the horses were like heads of lions, and fire and smoke and brimstone shoot out of their mouth, shooting, killing, missiles, all of this going on. By these three, a third of men were killed by fire and the smoke and the brimstone that came out of their mouths. And their powers in their mouths, for their tails are like serpents, and they have heads, and with them they inflict wounds. Now, notice there are still people alive. You know, even in the greatest disasters, it's quite a, a, a wondrous thing how many people survive, even buried under rubble of buildings. So think of this, verse 20. But the rest of the men who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the works of their hands. So these are men with super modern high-tech weapons. Some of the things are developing right now, okay? They didn't repent. Now, I wonder what would happen if they would repent, but they won't. Did not repent of the works of their hands that they might not worship demons and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood, which do not have power to see nor to hear nor to walk. And they did not repent of their murders nor of their sorceries nor of their fornications, nor of their thievery. An amazing thing. This is going to be some battle, but we're going to see God is going to do even greater than this.
Now, chapter 10 is the seven thunders. And John was told not to write those. So we don't know what that's going to be. And we don't know how devastating that will be. But let's come to chapter 11. The second woe is past, verse 14. And the third woe is coming immediately. And the seventh trump angel sounded his trumpet. And there were great voices in heaven saying, This is the resurrection on Pentecost. Now, as we will see, this leads into the third phase of the return of Christ. The first phase is the sign of the Son of Man appearing as a son. The second phase takes place right here, just right before the resurrection. The sun comes streaking to the earth and right over the Holy Land. Whoo! A vast sea of glass will appear. And then the resurrection takes place. And we meet Christ in the air on the sea of glass. Now then, that is, we covered on Pentecost all the fantastic things that will take place at that point. All right? So the seventh trumpet sounded. We'll see how we come from the last Pentecost and the resurrection to the last trumpets and Christ and the saints coming to the earth. Now let's come forward to Revelation 14. Now Revelation 14 is a classic example of one of the methods that the Bible uses to describe what's going to take place. First of all, it gives a summary, and then it gives the details. Now we're going to see in Revelation 14 the two harvests. One, the resurrection from the dead for the saints. Number two, the harvest of the wicked with their armies that God is going to destroy when Christ returns from heaven with the saints. So what we have here is we have verses 14 and 15 through 16, talking about the first resurrection of the saints. Then verse 17 begins the summary of what's going to happen to the wicked coming to Jerusalem. So this is quite a thing, and we will see that just as we saw on Pentecost, the prophecy of a nation raised at once. Likewise, we will see the prophecy of the wicked and their destruction in the book of Joel. So let's read it here in Revelation 14, verse 14. And I look and behold a white cloud and one like the Son of Man sitting on the cloud, having a golden crown on his head, and in his hand was a sharp sickle. Now we are the first fruits. So this is a sickle to harvest the grain. Now we will see there's a special sickle to also harvest the grapes of wrath, as we could put it that way. And he said, verse 15, 
And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, because the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he who was sitting on the cloud thrust his sickle into the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now, that takes place right as the seventh trump is blown, and the harvest begins. Okay? Now then, that brings us over to Revelation 15. Now we're going to, we've already covered this during Pentecost. So then those who are raised are taken by the angels up to the sea of glass. And all of those in the first resurrection as we covered on Pentecost will be there. And then everything that needs to take place as we covered on Pentecost will take place. Be all on this big sea of glass. Okay? When the resurrection has taken place, that finishes the second phase of the return of Christ. There is yet another phase that has to take place. And this is the seven last plagues. Now, that is depicted, so we can look at it this way. Revelation 14, verses 14 through 16, apply to the resurrection and Revelation 15. Then, from verses 17 through 19, that applies to chapter 16. So let's read it. Verse 17, Revelation 14. Verse 17. Then another angel, who also had a sharp sickle, came out of the temple that is in heaven. And out from the altar came another angel who had authority over fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sickle and gather the grapes of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast its fruit into the great winepress of the wrath, and we will see the vengeance of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood spewed out from the winepress as high as the horse's bridle to the distance of 8,600 furlongs. Now, this spewing of the blood shows the death of the wicked, the soldiers, the enemies fighting against Christ. Now let's come to Joel, the third chapter, and let's see where this exact thing was prophesied. Joel, the third chapter. So what we find is this. As I covered earlier, we have the prophecies of the Old Testament, the prophecies of the New Testament, and they all fit together like a hand in a glove, okay? Joel, the third chapter. We saw it, talked about the army coming, the trumpet plague, four, yes, trumpet plague five and six, and the trumpet plague is announced, the seventh plague is is announced, correction, the seven plagues are announced with the beginning of the resurrection. All right, chapter 3. So let's pick it up here in the book of Joel. 
chapter 3 and verse 9. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. This will be the greatest war that there has ever been. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Gather yourselves and come, all of you nations. Gather yourselves together all around. Cause your mighty ones to come down there, O Lord. Then the nations, let the nations be awakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the nations all around. Put in the sickle. It's like we read in Revelation 14. For the harvest is ripe. Come, come down. For the press is full. The vats overflow. For their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And again, the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the heaven and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. Now, isn't that interesting? His people being the first resurrection and Israel being the nations of Israel who will be brought back to their original inheritance. Now then, let's see what God is going to do and let's see how this is going to be done because Revelation 15 gives us two things. It shows us the temple of God and then how the seven last plagues come, as well as those who have been resurrected and stand on the sea of glass. All right? Now then, let's pick it up here in verse 1. Chapter 15, verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and awesome, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is filled up. Now remember, that takes place between the resurrection on Pentecost and trumpets when Christ and the saints come back to the earth. Okay? Come down here to verse 6. Actually, verse 5. And after these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. And the seven angels who had the seven last plagues came out of the temple. They were clothed in linen, pure and bright, and gird about the chest with a golden breastplate. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who lives into the ages of eternity. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter into the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. This 
is the vengeance of God. God has said, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And he is going to bring the the vengeance on the earth. And he is going to carry it out. So let's look at some scriptures which talk about this very thing. Okay? Let's come to Isaiah 34. Isaiah chapter 34. Now the seven last plagues come right after the seventh trump. Exactly when they begin, we don't know. Because there's a lot of things going on on the sea of glass with Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the resurrected saints. Now, we are going to be able to witness the vengeance of God. And we're also going to see that God gives us a share in that vengeance. Because remember what Jesus said. He said, if my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. So the kingdom is coming to this world, and then we will fight. And we will actually see that we have part in carrying out the vengeance of God. So this is quite a thing. Let's read it here. Verse 1, Isaiah 34. Come near, you nations, to hear, and you people hearken. Let the earth hear in the fullness of the world and its offspring. For the anger of the Lord is upon all nations. It's called his wrath. And his fury upon all their armies. All the armies of the 200 million plus. He has completely destroyed them. He has delivered them to the slaughter. Also their dead shall be thrown out, and their stink shall come up out of their dead bodies, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. As the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll, and all the hosts shall fall down as a leaf falls off a vine, as the falling of the fig tree. Verse 5, For my sword is bathed in the heavens. Behold, it shall come down upon Edom, upon the people of my curse for judgment. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is made fat with fatness, with the blood of lambs and goats and the fat of kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra and a great slaughter in the land of Eden. And the wild oxen shall come down with them, and the young bullocks and the, with the bulls. And the land shall be soaked with blood, and their dust shall be grease with their fat. So that's going to be quite a thing when you think about that. Now notice, verse 8. For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance the year to repay for the fighting against Zion. God's vengeance is coming. Now, Isaiah 63. Very interesting. Isaiah 63, and let's pick it up here beginning in verse 3. Isaiah 63. Now, notice how this ties in with Revelation 14 and 16. Verse 3. 
I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was no man with me. For I will tread them in my anger and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and, and I stained all my clothing. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redemption has come. And I looked, and there was none to help. And I was astonished that no one to uphold. Therefore, my own right arm brought salvation for me, and my fury upheld me. And I will tread down the people in my anger, and I will make them drink in my fury, and I will pour out their life's blood down to the earth. That's a description of the seven last plagues. We'll read them. They're going to be something. All right, this is quite a thing. Let's come over here to uh, Psalm 94. And we're going to look at several psalms because it talks about the vengeance of the Lord. And remember what Paul wrote there in Romans, the 12th chapter. He said, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Now let's come to Psalm 94. 94, okay? Psalm 94, let's begin right here in verse 1. Verse 1, O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs, O God, to whom vengeance belongs, show yourself, lift up yourself, which he will. This is exactly what he is doing. See, all of these things are going to take place while we're on the sea of glass. We'll be able to see this. We'll see all of this take place. Lift up yourself, judge of the earth, render recompense to the proud. How long shall the wicked, O Lord, how long shall the wicked exult? They gush forth words, they speak arrogant things. All the wonders of iniquity vaunt themselves. All the workers, rather, of iniquity vaunt themselves. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your inheritance. So that's quite a thing. Quite a vengeance. Now let's come to Psalm 58. Psalm 58. Here again we have the same thing. Psalm 58. Let's pick it up here in verse 5. Now what we will do, we will go back and see that in Revelation 16, as these seven last plagues are poured out, that they fulfill all these scriptures where we are reading of the vengeance of God. Now, let's pick it up here. Psalm 58, verse 10. Psalm 58, verse 10. The righteous shall rejoice when he sees the vengeance. There are going to be a lot of cheering on the, on the sea of glass. Now, understand, we're cheering because of God's power. We're cheering because God is fulfilling his word. We're going to rejoice in all of this because the kingdom is going to be set up by Christ. And we are going to be a part in that. Now, for those who think that all this blood, guts, and gore is really terrible to to take, and how can a God of love do this? Well, a God of love is a God of love so much 
that even in spite of all of this that they do and what he does, they're going to be in the second resurrection. And think how astonishing that that will be for them. Quite a thing, isn't it? Yes, indeed. Verse 10, the righteous shall rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He shall bathe his footsteps in the blood of the wicked, so that the ma- so that a man shall say, truly, there is a reward for the righteous. Truly, there is a God who is judging in the earth. Astonishing, huh? Yes, indeed. That's quite something. Okay, come down here to Psalm 59 in verse 5. Just drop straight down the column. Verse 5, Psalm 59. And you, therefore, O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. That's what this is all about. The trumpet plagues and the seven last plagues. Show no mercy to any wicked traitors. Come down here to verse 8. But you, O Lord, shall laugh at them. You shall hold all the nations in derision. Now verses 12 and 13. For the sin of their mouth and the word of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride. And we're going to see the pride and arrogance that they have at the last is the greatest because of the prompting of Satan the devil and for the cursing and lying which they speak. Consume them in wrath. Consume them so that they may be no more. Let them know that God rules in Jacob to the ends of the earth. See law. Now that's quite a thing to really think about and understand and know what is taking place, all right? Yes, the vengeance of the Lord and the wrath of God. Now let's come back here to the book of Revelation, chapter 16. Let's see how this is going to take place, and what a thing this is going to be. Revelation, chapter 16. Let's read the seven last plagues prophesied in the Old Testament and to come. Then when we read them, we will also see something concerning how the saints will participate in this vengeance when we come back to the earth, and that is prophesied. All right? Revelation 16, verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple say to the seven angels, Go and pour out the vials of the wrath of God onto the earth. And the first angel went and poured out his vial on the earth, and an evil and grievous sore fell upon the men who had the mark of the beast and upon those who were worshiping his image. And the second angel went and poured out his vial into the sea, and it became blood like that of a dead man, and every living soul in the sea died. So when we come back to restore the earth, It's going to be one giant disaster after disaster after disaster. That's going to give us a tremendous job to start doing when the millennium begins. 
Now the third angel poured out his vials upon the rivers and into the fountains of the waters, and they became blood. Now, verse 5 becomes very important. Now think about this for a minute. The righteous angels have been with God forever. The righteous angels rejected the rebellion of Satan and the angels that followed him who became demons. They saw how God created man. They saw how Satan did to mankind all down through time. So this is viewed from God's point of view. Now I know for people who are very tender and don't like violence and blood, guts, and gore, this may be a little difficult. But this is looking at it from God's point of view. Verse 5, here's what the angel says because of just these these first three plagues. Then I heard the angel of the waters say, You are righteous, O Lord, who are and who was, even the Holy One, in that you have executed this judgment, the judgment that was prophesied. For you have poured out the blood of the saints and of the prophets. Correction. Verse 6. For they have poured out the blood of the saints and of the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another angel, another voice from the altar say, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Amazing, isn't it, when you look at it from God's point of view? And the fourth angel poured out his vial on the sun, and power was given it to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat. Now, they didn't repent. They blasphemed the name of God, who had authority over these plagues, and did not repent to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed with their tongues because of the pain. The plagues that came upon them, the darkness, showing that they're absolutely cut off from God. But Satan, who is the king of pride, gets them up for one last try. Now, this has got to be quite a thing, as we will see. And the sixth angel poured out his vial into the river Euphrates, and its waters were dried up, so that the way of the kings of the rising of the sun might be prepared. They see this miraculous thing take place and say, Yes, we've got to get over to the Holy Land so we can fight against these invaders from outer space. We have got to stop this. They're going to come and take over the earth. Yes, that's true. And we will be the invaders. All right? To prepare them for it. Now, it's got to be powerfully persuasive. And it is. Verse 13. Then I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, Satan the devil, his chief spokesman there, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For these are spirits of demons working miracles, going forth to the kings of the earth, even of the whole world, to gather them together to the battle of that great day of the Almighty God. That's going to be persuasive. 
They're going to sacrifice all that they have. They're going to get all their weapons, everything they can do. All the nations are going to send some of their armies there to do it because we will see that we also have a part in carrying out this vengeance, as I will show you a little later. Behold, I come as a thief. Now, this is a warning to us. Blessed is the one who is watching and keeping his garments. That ties right in with the Laodiceans, does it not? Yes, indeed. So that he may not walk naked and that they might not see his shame. And he gathered them together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Let them all get there. Let them all be ready. They're all, everything is looking up to this great sea of glass. And they're going to bring their weapons, all of the most powerful that they have, so they can shoot at it to destroy the aliens that seek to invade the earth. And then, here's what happens. Verse 17, And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and a loud voice came out of the heaven, out of heaven from the throne, saying, It is finished! And there were voices and thunders and lightnings and a great earthquake, such as was not since men were on the earth so mighty a quake and so great. And the great city was divided in three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Notice the total destruction that this earth is going to experience. Does that not add a tremendous exclamation mark to the verse that says the wages of sin is death. Yes, indeed. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island disappeared and the mountains were not found. And great hail, each the weight of a talent, 180 pounds, fell down from heaven upon the men. Though I suppose some in the tanks and things like that could survive some of this. But you see, that's going to happen right there below the sea of glass. But then when that happens, another wave of the army is going to come. And we will see what happens to them in just a minute. And men blaspheme God because of the plague of hell, for the plague was exceeding great. Now then, let's come to chapter 19. And we see that here, The marriage of the Lamb has taken place. The supper has taken place. We are all ready to go. We have our assignments. We have our white horses. We know how to ride them. We know what we need to do. Okay? Let's pick it up here in verse 11. All right? Revelation 19 and verse 11. So now is the third phase of of the return of Jesus Christ. Phase one, the sign of Son of Man as a second son. Phase two, the resurrection. Phase three, Christ and all the saints coming back to the earth. And then we will see that, yes, we will carry out some of the vengeance of God because we are to rule the nations with a rod of iron. And if they resist They will be broken as pottery into shivers of nothing. All right, verse 11. 
And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness does he judge and make war. This is Christ. And his eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knows except him. And he was clothed in a garment dipped in blood. Didn't we read that in the book of Isaiah? Yes, indeed. And his name is the word of God. So that goes back to John 1, 1 and 2. And the armies in heaven were following him. That's us. Okay? On white horses. And they were clothed in fine linen, white and pure. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. And with it he might smite the nations. And he shall shepherd them with an iron rod, and he treads the winepress of the fury and the wrath of the Almighty God. That's the vengeance of God. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together for the supper of the great God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of chief captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all, free and bond, small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war with him who sits on the horse and with his army. Now God has a special surprise for the beast and the false prophet. Yes, verse 20. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet who worked the miracles in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped his image. Those two were cast alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. Now notice, and the rest were killed by the sword of him who sits on the, on the horse even the sword that goes out of his mouth, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Now, let's look at another scripture here, because we come back to the earth. This is the final trumpets, okay? Now, there is a space of time between trumpets and atonement, correct? Yes, nine days to be exact. And we know that atonement pictures putting Satan into the abyss. So what happens on those nine days? Now, one church says, well, they're all up up there on the sea of glass in heaven for those nine days and come down on atonement. No, that's not correct. Let's come back here to Psalm 149, and let's read this amazing psalm. And what it says and it tells us what we are going to do. Psalm 149. We will help carry out the vengeance of God. We will help destroy the rest of those armies during the nine-day period from trumpets until atonement when Satan and the demons are cast into the abyss. All right? Psalm 149. This is what we will do. This is really astounding. Verse 1, Praise the Lord. 
Sing unto the Lord a new song. And we sang that, didn't we? Yes. And his praise in the congregation of saints, all the resurrected saints on the sea of glass. Let Israel rejoice in his maker and let the children of Zion be joyful in their king again. Israel and the church. Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises to him with the drum and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He crowns the meek with salvation. That's us, saved, spirit beings, clothed in righteousness, the linen pure and bright. Now, on our first mission, destroy any of the rest of the wicked, all who resist the kingdom of God. Now notice verse 5. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute judgment upon the nations and punishments upon the people. God gives us that authority to do it. Here's a prophecy of it. To bind their kings with chains and their nobles with iron bands and to carry out upon them the judgment written. This honor have all his saints. Oh, praise the Lord. And so we will be busy doing that from trumpets to atonement. So this is quite a day. The Feast of Trumpets and the seven last plagues and the wars of all the trumpet plagues. Brethren, what an assignment we are going to start with when the millennium begins. So now we we can't handle that right now, but as spirit beings, we will be able to do it. So this is why we need to make our calling and our election sure and believe the word of God. So we will see you on atonement.